join me one more time. And let's go before the Lord this morning as we prepare to hear this word. Lord, your words are the words of life. They lift up those that are fallen. They strengthen the weak. They bring life to that which was dead. They call into being, into existence, the things that are your will that cannot be held back and denied. They, Lord, bring forth out of the prison house those that are captive. This very day, bring us forth. Speak to our hearts. Let us hear from heaven today. I thank you for a word that will produce fruit, a word that will enlighten the eye and quicken, hallelujah, the souls of those that hear it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we release your anointing that we might be taught, Lord, not by the words of men, but by that inner teacher, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let me say that again. I want you to think about it as I read it. So then each of us will give an account for himself or herself to God. This is a very unusual message. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken on this in 40 plus years. Why is our church independent? When you look up Faith Christian Church in the directory or online or you look at the sign out front and it describes our church, it says that we are independent. We're an independent church. What does that mean? Why is Faith Christian Church an independent church. An independent church as opposed to an affiliated church. Everyone say affiliated. Affiliated. Affiliated, uh, affiliated church is a church that belongs to a denomination, belongs to a, an association or a movement of churches. We, on the other hand, are independent, not because we don't believe in belonging, or we don't get along well with others. There is there's a very important, um, very scriptural reason why we're independent. And let me just say right off the bat, it's not because we believe that not being an independent church is wrong. We're independent because God has established us as an independent church. We are being who God has called us to be. We as an independent church do not derive our founding from a denomination or a church organization. We did not come into existence through the efforts of the planting of an organization or through the strategy of a, a church expansion program. In other words, God himself brought us into existence. When you think about the church that you are, that you're a part of, you're part of a church that God called into being, that He Himself planted. Likewise, we didn't inherit our doctrines. Our teachings did not come from a denomination. They were not handed down from an organization. 
The positions that we take were not handed down by a council with which we have no relationship. The positions that we take and the doctrines that we learn and that we teach come to us through the Word of God from the Lord Himself. And the Holy Spirit ultimately is our teacher, as it says in 1 John chapter 2, in two places, that we need not that any man should teach us, but that the anointing within shall teach us all things. And that doesn't mean that they're not human teachers, obviously, because the Holy Spirit calls people into that ministry and gives them that gift to teach. But what it means is, is that in all that we learn, we should be hearing from the Holy Spirit through whatever agency He brings. And so, being independent means that we are not put into a position or forced into a relationship where we have to accept positions, teachings, or sayings that come to us from anywhere other than from the midst of us and what the Lord is saying and what the Lord is doing. So we're independent. And it's because we're not dependent upon a denomination for our existence. Think about that for a moment. We are free to trust God and to believe God solely. And if the Lord doesn't sustain us, there is no safety net. There is no backup plan. Are you listening? With independence comes great responsibility. But it's because there's tremendous freedom in that independence. We are free to follow and to obey the Lord. That's a great privilege. We should answer for ourselves in life. If Jesus did anything for people, he gave them the ability to answer for themselves. The Bible says, the truth shall set you free, and he whom the Lord has set free is free indeed. The one thing that Jesus does for people is he gives them the ability to speak for themselves. They answer for themselves. They don't have to answer for people that they don't have a relationship with. They don't have to um, bear the reproach of people that they're not associated or affiliated with. If they mess up, they bear their own approach. They answer for themselves. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? Every one of us should answer for himself. Galatians 6, 4, and 5 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. In the King James, it says, bear his own weight. And... In the original Greek, that word actually means bear your own responsibility. Each one should test his own work and then have reason to boast in himself and not in his neighbor, for each one must bear his own responsibility. At its core, Christianity means that Jesus came to set people free so that they can stand in him on their own two feet and answer for themselves. Here the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, 4, and 5 says, each one should test his own work. You should be able to examine your life and examine your work and not fall back on a denomination 
and say, I know I'm all right because I'm Episcopalian, or I know I'm okay because I'm Presbyterian, or I'm in good standing because I'm Methodist. And by the way, being independent doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with being Methodist, Episcopalian, Baptist, Catholic, or any of those other fine organizations. As I said, at its very core, being independent simply means that God has brought us into being Himself. And He has called us to answer for ourselves. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me talk for a moment about movements. Many of you uh, have seen or been through movements. There have been many movements that have come through the body of Christ, and there's some rolling through the body of Christ today. And when movements come through the body of Christ, they always, just like a, just like a nice calm harbor when a great big speedboat flies into it and tears around, it just jostles everything. I mean, and that jostling and movement isn't necessarily bad. A lot of times it's, it could be a good thing, but the wake produced by movement certainly stirs things up, makes things move. And uh, sometimes that's exactly what we need is to get moving. Can you say amen? amen. But um, one thing I've noticed about movements, and whether we're talking about uh, some of the great movements that took place back in the 70s and the 80s, the discipleship movement that took place um, in the 70s, the uh, Word of Faith movement that came about in the 80s, the worship, the praise movement that arose in the 90s, the prophetic movement, the intercessory prayer movement, and on and on. There's a number of movements, and they usually happen when there's some kind of a revival or, uh, that erupts somewhere in the world, and it spawns a movement. That revival, that outpouring, oftentimes has an emphasis. Many of the movements that I mentioned had specific emphases. For example, the intercessory prayer movement emphasizes intercessory prayer. And so if you're in that movement, you're all about interceding and praying, and that becomes the answer for everything, and it defines everyone who joins that movement until the movement morphs into something else. But at any rate, so movements usually congeal around an idea. Most every denomination today began as some kind of a movement. But the problem with movements is that they harden in history around the people that led them. And they turn into, oftentimes, spin-offs or groups or denominations, or they die out. Like the Tower of Babel. How many of you remember the Tower of Babel or Babel, however you want to pronounce it? Remember Nimrod? gathered all the people of, the, of that area of the world together, became like a king, a dictator over them, gathered them all together into unity and to harmony under this one principle that we're going to build this great tower and we are going to ascend up to heaven and we're going to be like God. We're going to be God-like and God saw them, you remember. Um, I don't know how close to heaven they got. He just saw what was in their heart and what was happening. And uh, the Bible says he sent confusion on the Tower of Babel and the people were all scattered, and he divided their languages. And so that great unity that came together under that, that Nimrod character that was the dictator over them was broken up and scattered, and the people couldn't communicate with each other. They all had different languages, and so they all clustered together around their like languages, broke up in all these little tribes, 
And that's what happened. You remember the story. Well, like the Tower of Babel, movements are like that. You know, in my lifetime, almost every movement that I've seen turns into a Tower of Babel. They all do. Because some Nimrod eventually decides that he needs to consolidate or she needs to consolidate this around some kind of an exclusive work that promises fantastic results and always ends up being scattered and everybody ends up being driven away and separated into splinters. And it always happens. There's only one movement that I actually know of, and I'm not sure that, it, I'm not sure that when you call it a movement, it, it can even be defined as such as the thing that we called the Jesus movement that happened in the late 60s and throughout the 70s. It was really a movement from heaven. It was simply God reaching into the earth and saving hundreds of thousands, millions of young people, bringing them out of the world into the, into the kingdom of God. There was no real Tower of Babel that ever came together. People just came to Jesus. And out of it were spawned many independent ministries that, that were called into being and sustained directly by the Lord himself. And the Lord was showing the world in those days and today that God, Jesus himself, is still able to save and sustain people directly in relation to himself without necessarily being sustained by an organization. The problem with movements, and we being an independent church, we're not only not denominationally affiliated, we're not movement affiliated. Because I like being free to eat the chicken and spit out the bones. I like being free to let God give us what he wants us to have without having to jump on the train. Do you know what I'm talking about? See, when you're denominational or you jump into a movement, when you jump on that train, you're going wherever that train goes. I do a lot of traveling. When I get on that airplane, I can't take off out of New York on my way down to Tampa and decide when I get over the Carolinas, I'd like to get out here. Once I get in the seat, I'm going where everyone else is going. If it crashes, I'm crashing with it. We're all in it together. That's what the problem is with movements. Once you jump on the this movement or the that movement, once you're on that train, you're on that track. And you've lost your ability to eat the chicken and spit out the bones. You've lost the ability to move step by step and moment by moment according to what the Holy Spirit leads you to do or what He opens up for you in the Word of God. And so wherever the train goes, you're going to go. And like the Tower of Babel, you're going to end up being scattered and separated when it all comes down. And every movement that I've ever watched, no matter how great it was in the beginning or how much promise it seemed to show, by the time a Nimrod shows up and takes control of things, that's the moment, even though it continues to ascend up and grow and become great, it's on its way ultimately back down again. That is the nature of movements, and every single one of them end up like that. 
they end up being separated and scattered. And that's why, as an independent church, we don't jump on movements. It may be, it may be that we forego and miss some of those great benefits as a movement is rising. But then again, we also miss the punishing separation and the deterioration when the thing's crashing and burning and falling apart. As an independent ministry, you are completely free to take in what God brings without having to buy a brand. You're a Christian at large rather than a Christian brand. I like being independent because it makes me dependent upon Jesus. Being independent, we're free from having to defend statements, having to defend positions, having to defend practices of people and groups that we're not responsible for or that we don't agree with. If you think about it, when you join a group, when you're part of an organization, when you have signed on to a movement, you now have to answer to the public for everything that group or organization does, what its leaders say in public, the positions that they take, the behaviors that its leaders practice, you have to answer for those things. I don't like having to answer for things that I don't believe in or that I haven't done. The Bible says each one of us should answer for ourselves. Each one of us should be able to stand in Christ and when we fall, I, I have grace to be able to handle my mistakes, but I don't have grace to fix or have to answer for, be responsible for other people's. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Amen. Let me talk for a moment about group identity. I've preached a number of different times on what I believe is, is one of the great killers of faith. And it's called group faith, or I'm going to broaden the term and use the term group identity. People, just as human beings, are naturally inclined to depend on the power of affiliation. Think again about the Tower of Babel. You know, the whole reason why Nimrod was able to gather all those people together was to say, you know, if we all bind together, and take one identity, work towards one goal, then you as an individual will have a much greater chance at happiness in life because you'll be part of this great group, this exclusive group. And if you become part of a group, you'll have a much better future than if you simply live between you and your God, your own life that God has given you, and uh, hoe your own row, as the old saying goes. But people are naturally tempted and inclined to want to join a group. I constantly get that stuff in the mail from, what is it, AARP? Um, I haven't joined AARP, and I'm not going to join AARP for my own reasons. Um, I'm not against groups, by the way. Uh, there's nothing wrong necessarily, intrinsically, with groups. And that doesn't mean that Christian groups, Christian denominations, are necessarily wrong. But I like being free 
to not have to explain my position because I'm a Baptist. I want to explain the position that God's given me. If, I'm, if I have to be a Methodist, then I have to take that Methodist position and, and I don't want to have to do it. If I join a particular movement or an organization and the leaders do things or say things, I don't want to have to be responsible for that. And so that's why, as an independent, we're free to not have to endorse other people, not have to, and, and we don't have to judge others either. You are free to just love people. You don't have to put anyone down, and you don't have to exalt anybody. You just are about Jesus, and that's your message. Now, that's not for everybody, because some people really like I said, they need that group identity. They, they don't feel secure if they're not part of a group. It just makes them feel more saved. It just makes, maybe their, maybe their salvation feels a little more legit. If I'm saved as a Baptist, or if I'm saved as a Church of God, or Assemblies of God, or if, if my salvation and my experience has the endorsement of a particular brand, then when I'm going through trials, I'm feeling a little insecure. If I'm challenged by somebody to have to explain, well, what do you guys believe? I can always fall back on the organization and say, well, we assemblies of God. And by the way, the few times in my life as a Christian that I have um, actually thought about joining an organization, it was the assemblies of God. I'll just come right out and tell you. But when I first started my formal Christian education, it was at an Assemblies of God School, Southwestern, uh, um, Southwestern um, Bible College, at any rate. So um, I like organizations. I fellowship with guys that are members of organizations. I don't put organizations down. I see the benefit of them. But you see, there's something about being independent that is the path God's put me on. That's the path God's put us on. We are an independent church. And I think you should know what that means. You should be able to say, oh, that's why we're not denominational. It's not juxtaposing ourselves against an organization. It's simply saying we like the privilege of answering to the Lord for ourselves. And group identity can be uh, very appealing, but group identity also comes with some serious problems. Group faith throughout the history, God's history of his people, has always been a problem. Group faith works like this. If the group is right with God, and I join the group, then I'll be right with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? In certain churches that have a very specific liturgical approach to communion, for example, and their doctrine teaches that their particular approach to communion is absolutely the right way and ways in other churches do not practice the right way of having communion. People do this with water baptism. They do it with all kinds of things. Do it with the gifts of the Spirit. Do it with just about everything that Christians teach and everything that Christians practice. There's a right way and a wrong way. And so 
If there's a particular church and they say, our communion is the way that God really receives communion, uh, wants you to receive communion. When you receive communion in our church as a member of our church, then you have really received the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We can't vouch for it. We don't know what you're getting when you're out there with the outside of our group. So the problem with group faith is that you can join that group and there's a wonderful sense of security. The security says, wow, all I have to do is just go to where that group meets and, you know, uh, um, participate in what that group's doing and I'm right with God because the group is right with God. If my pastor's right with God and I go to my pastor's church, then I'm right with God. You see, group faith puts some body or some group between you and God. And a lot of people like that because they're not secure within themselves. And they're not really certain that, that God is really with them or that the Lord's blessing them or they're really right with Him or they're in the right position that the Lord wants them in. And they don't know how to deal with that uncertainty. So it's easier just to join a group that, that promises if you're part of us, Glory to God, we're connected with heaven. So if you're connected with us, you're connected with heaven. So group faith is not the faith that Jesus gave to you and I. The faith that Jesus gave to you and I is, I'm Jesus, I'm your Savior, receive me. It is, it is the faith that Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24 says, have the faith of God. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is Lord in this situation and I'm submitting to his lordship. So that is an individual faith and each one is saved, not because they've joined the right group, but because they've joined Jesus. Nobody's going to go to heaven because they're a Methodist. Nobody's going to go to heaven because they are Catholic or because they're Presbyterian. No one's going to go to heaven or be blessed because they, they joined a particular movement that's arising. Our confidence must be in Jesus and what he has said and what he has done. His word, his gospel. Um, that group identity, it's important to people. They like group endorsements. You ever notice people will join something because everybody endorses it. If this group endorses it, I have confidence. Group identity, group faith. But let me say to you that as a Christian, no matter what denomination or no matter what group you may be affiliated with, your testimony as a Christian, your testimony as an independent individual is greatly diminished when you surrender to the power of a group. When you subordinate your testimony subjugate, make your testimony subject to identity with a group, you are reducing and greatly diminishing your ability to have a testimony for the Lord. Now, I, I'm just going to say it. I want you to go think about that. I want you to consider it. You might disagree with it. And I'm not saying, by the way, that if you're a member of a denomination that you have that you have reduced the impact of your testimony. I'm not necessarily saying that. But if in your heart, if in our heart, we have placed our confidence and security in who we are in Christ, our testimony, that's what I mean by our testimony, 
in the fact that we are with this particular group, you have subjugated, subordinated your testimony to a group identity. To the extent that you do that, to that extent, you've minimized and greatly reduced the impact of your testimony. All of those people that we like to read about in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul and the rest of them, they never went before the public with the power of the Holy Spirit operating through them as the member of a particular group. They always went as an individual who the Lord saved. And that was their only confidence and security that Jesus was Lord of their life. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 15 and 16, about his own salvation and how God had called him. But when he who set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his Son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. And he goes on to say that I immediately went out into the desert, out into Arabia, and then spent about three years, I think he said, Damascus. He separated himself unto the Lord. And he didn't immediately go running down to Jerusalem. And in fact, the next verse says, I did not go down, running down to those who were apostles before me and join the group, join the association to see if I could validate my experience, to make sure that I was really, was this real? Could you imagine the Apostle Paul running down to Jerusalem, running into that council and saying, now I know that you guys know me and everything, um, and I know that, that, uh, that you're, you've been afraid of me and you guys don't like me much, but uh, I saw this light and the Lord spoke to me and I'm really saved and I'm here, I'm just going to submit myself and... Uh, you guys check me out, watch me, and I want you to, you know, make sure that my experience is valid. If the Apostle Paul had done that, uh, the Roman Empire would not have received the gospel, at least not from him. He became the man that God called him to be because he kept that call between him and Jesus. And he didn't bring it under somebody else so that they could examine it and give their approval as to whether it was of God or not. Now, I, I take a chance at saying this because I realize that somebody could misconstrue this to say that, well, we should never submit one to another. We should never look for approval from one another. To a certain extent, it sounds like that's what I'm saying. But I think if you really take this in balance and consider it, you realize if there is not a Jesus Christ sitting on the throne who is strong enough, who is Lord enough to keep that which is committed to him, to keep the little lambs that he saves as they grow into sheep and to guide them, then we better find the best organization we can because this thing is a gigantic fake religion. If it needs, if it must have, if it cannot survive, Without the organization and the approval of men, then it's no different than every other religion out in the world. The thing that gives proof to Christianity is people like the Apostle Paul. People and churches who are at the heart 
independent, not rebellious, not rejecting of others, but dependent upon Jesus and willing to stand in faith in that relationship alone and say, that's enough for me. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He said, I did not immediately. He eventually did associate with the other apostles because he wanted to be part of the body of Christ. But look, my left leg is a cooperative part of my body because it pays attention to the head. Not because it gets the commands or subordinates itself to the hip. It may be joined to the hip, but the brain doesn't come from the hip. My hip is not telling my leg what to do. The head is telling my leg what to do. The only reason why my body at this age is as coordinated as it is is because the head's still working and the body is still in these parts may be interconnected, but they are independent. In other words, the lower part of my body hasn't formed a union and threatens to go on strike because it's got its own mind, its own, you understand what I'm saying? There's not parts of the body. I think it does happen in people. We call it disease. It happens. You see people ending up in wheelchairs. You see their body rebels. That doesn't, they don't, the, the parts don't listen to the head anymore. You see, group identity never works unless it subjects itself directly to the head. If Jesus isn't able to get to the toenail, if the brain is not able to be Lord of the toenail and everything in between, then that body is in trouble. Being independent means that I'm a part of the body because the brain is my Lord and is talking to me. Do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? That is why Faith Christian Church is independent. Your testimony should trace itself back to Jesus rather than back to a person or back to a group. You can't well, look, I'll let Paul say it. Let me, I just, Paul says it best. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means what I'm about to say is officially coming from God. I appeal to you through the name of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, this is not me speaking my opinion. I am prophesying to you with my pen in my hand as I write this. That's what Paul's saying. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Let me pause for a moment. Every Nimrod over an organization jumps up at that point and says, Amen. I want everyone to agree. I want everyone to be of the same mind, and here are the items that we're going to agree on. Here is what the Tower of Babel is going to look like, how we're going to build it. This is our purpose. Every Nimrod over an organization agrees that we should all be in one mind and be in one accord. That's what drives politics, is people believe that they cannot live with any power in this life unless they 
identify themselves with a particular group that has power and influence, otherwise they have no power and influence. And the more we think like that, the more we diminish and destroy the power of the individual. So the, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. But let's see what Paul is saying that they need to be united in. For it has been reported to me by those from Chloe's household that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean by this is that each of you says, quote, I, am of, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or even I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? For the first three chapters of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, he deals with this whole issue of people constantly needing to form up group identities. And every time we form subgroup identities, rather than being a family under Jesus Christ and allowing him to arrange the body, we insist upon forming groups and then joining the right group. We actually subdivide the body of Christ. And he deals with this with the Corinthians. So in the third chapter, he's still talking about it. And he says, so brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but instead as people of the flesh, carnal, infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food because you're not yet ready to take the solid food. I'm wondering, what is it? What, what made them carnal? Why was he not able to give them solid teaching? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm feeding you the milk, the baby food. You can, you, I have to give you just basic elemental teaching because you can't handle the meat of the word. So I'm very curious as to what makes... Paul say that they were carnal. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You were not able. In fact, you're still not ready, and you are still influenced by the flesh. Or in other words, you're still carnal. For since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh? Are you not carnal and behaving as carnal people? For whenever someone says, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, are you not carnal. And so there you have the Apostle Paul advocating for the spirit of independence, not rejection of others, not anti-organization, but the need to remain directly submitted to Jesus Christ without having to form a denominational spirit or subdivide because you've identified with your favorite doctrine or you've identified with your favorite teacher. And he said to the Corinthians, and these guys, they, they, their church had the gifts of the Spirit flowing in it. Everything was going on in that church that churches today would want happening in their church. And he said, you're carnal. You are yet babes and carnal in Christ because you keep wanting to associate yourselves with a sub-association. I'm of Paul I, I follow the teacher Apollo, so I'm an Apollite, or I'm a Paulite, or I'm a Peterite. And you know, people might criticize independence and say, well, yeah, you're, 
you are equally as wrong because you're in that fourth category that says, well, I'm of Christ. And you know, that fourth category, I believe in that case, they were wrong because it wasn't that they were saying, I'm of Jesus out of love for the Lord, but rather I'm with Jesus out of rejection of others, a sense of superiority. I'm above you. I'm better than you. We don't, we don't um, claim to be under any man. We're above all that. And I don't want anyone to think that that's what I'm saying this morning. That kind of I, we're of Christ is just as divisive as those that say, I'm of Peter. Instead, Paul was dealing with them and saying, where are those whose mind and heart is for the body of Christ? Those are the ones who are of Christ, that have that true Jesus is Lord attitude of heart. Being independent simply means I don't want to put myself under the lordship of an organization or the lordship of a person or the lordship of a movement or the lordship of anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ because I don't want to have to justify other people. I don't want to have to answer for other people. I don't want to have to excuse other people. I want to answer for myself. I want to test my own work. And I don't want to leave it to an organization to put a rubber stamp on me. You know, if you belong, uh, gosh, let's, let's call it the, uh, uh, if you belong to the uh, communion denomination, let's just make one up, a denomination that forms around a revelation about communion. Communion is wonderful. It's, it's one of the three sacraments of the New Testament church. Laying on of hands, water baptism, and communion, the three sacraments of the church. So there's nothing wrong with communion. But what if a group were to form and say, we are the communionites? God is given through pa Pastor Joe. Let's just pick one. <laughs> Pastor Joe, he gave him a great revelation about communion, and he had a great revival. People were getting saved, and wonderful things were happening. Gold dust was falling all over the room, and stuff and we were at the meetings and it was so great and and so out of that came the communionites and all oh, the people that got said how can you say there's anything wrong with that and so people cling to those things those experiences and so we are communionites but the problem with uh being communionites is that you make that a thing it's a thing it's the thing that defines us and I don't want to have to explain to other people why we communionites do certain things or why the leaders of the communionite movement have taken certain positions or behaved a certain way because at some point I may move on. I may grow and I shouldn't have to. I want to be able to give my answer for myself and my own walk, my own life. Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are not, uh, they are not wise or they are without understanding. You see, the fact is that being independent 
makes you dependent upon Jesus. It's not about rejecting others. It's about subjecting yourself to the Lord. You know, the truth is that the proof of a true independent Christian or a true independent Christian church is Jesus responding to their dependence on him. That is the proof. Think about it. The proof of a true independent worker, minister, or person is that Jesus is holding them up. If they say, Jesus is Lord, and I, in my independence of making myself dependent upon him, and if he's not in their midst, and if he's not holding them up, they have nothing else to fall back on. So, to me, that is a true test of faith, is that Jesus is Lord. That is where we stand, is that Jesus is Lord. And I think through, through people who in their spirit, and by the way, you could be, I suppose, I've never tried it, I can't say from experience, but just thinking about it, um, you could probably be a Methodist church and be independent. It all depends on how you take your positions, how you take your stands. To me, it would be hard because what happens then when the Methodist church decides that they want to take certain positions that you think are unscriptural. And now as a member of that organization, like I said, you get on that plane, you're on it till it lands. You get on that train, you're going where that train goes. And so the problem is you risk yourself of having, when you stand before sinners and unsaved people, to have to preach your organization rather than just preach the gospel. You have to explain your organization. You have to rely upon your organization. And so those that have relied upon communion with the Lord himself don't have to turn into communionites to do it. They just are Jesus people. Hallelujah. And I think the reason is, is because we have a world full of people today that desperately need to see an or a church or an individual Christian that is being sustained by Jesus himself and not because they've joined the right group. That's why we don't have to go running across the country and jump into the latest movement as it's rising up. And like I said, sometimes you may miss some of that escalation, but then you don't have to put up with all the destruction as it's falling apart. And you can take the good and avoid the bad. There's great freedom in being independent. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. Here's the way I think that we should respond to this message today. It's kind of unusual, um, different message, but I believe there is an appropriate response. And that response goes back to the scripture that I opened up. Let each person answer for himself before God. And today as we stand, what we want to do is thank the Lord that he has put his Holy Spirit into me. I don't mean that he's put his Holy Spirit in me, Bob. I'm speaking for you. He's put a whole, his spirit in you. That you can say, Lord, you have put your spirit in me. This is my Bible. Pretend you've got a, I've got a Bible here. This word is for me. This is my word spoken to me. Hallelujah. 
and uh, God's Spirit is in me. And that's what makes me a part of the body of Christ. I can answer for myself before God. I understand that that can be a little bit scary. There's a wonderful swaddling effect when we are wrapped in fellowship with one another. But we don't need the swaddling of man's organization. We need the swaddling of the communion of those with whom God has given us relationship. I am in communion with you, and you are in communion with one another and with me. These are where we are walking out our relationships. This is real. This is a body. I thank God that if, I thank God because if we were, had a denominational sign over our door and somebody in Arkansas this week, the head, the bishop of that organization, handed down a certain set of positions that the council took and declared all of a sudden these positions and we had to all of a sudden accept them and we couldn't accept them. You see the position that we would be in. Our testimony is hurt by those kinds of things. Thank God that we don't have to do that. But you know, it does put us in a position where we have to stand for ourselves before God. And there's a kind of responsibility, a mantle that comes upon you when you realize that you're independent. And it pushes you out into that place where you have to stand with the Lord and be confident, I'm a Jesus person. Amen. Let's just lift up our hands before the Father. Lord, today, we are weak, but you are strong. We are no better than anybody else, Father God. And I thank you, Lord, that we only have to endorse you because you are the one who gave us life. We endorse you as Lord. We endorse you as Savior today, Heavenly Father. And we thank you. I am a Christian. I am saved because you sent your spirit into my life. You are my testimony, Lord. You are my glory. And so I worship you this day, Father. And I thank you. Lord, in that sense, I am an independent Christian. I belong to an independent church because our testimony is that you are Lord and we are fully dependent upon you. Lord, use us and glorify yourself through us, we pray in your precious and mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Hallelujah.